0: Amen. Good morning. Go ahead and grab a seat. Make yourself comfortable. It's good to have you here. If we've not met yet, my name is Luke. I'm one of the pastors here at Legacy. I get to teach and we're going to be in Acts 21 today. Just to underline one of the announcements, if you are a guest or you've been guesting for the last several weeks or a few months and you wanted to learn a little bit more about Legacy, I just wanted to personally invite you to the partnership class coming up next week. Up here at 8.30, we're going to take a few weeks to walk through the whys of who we are, where we've been, where we're going. It gives you a great opportunity to ask questions. Um, It's my favorite class to teach of all the classes, and so love to invite you up here for that. If you have any questions, you can ask me afterward, or you can ask Charlie, who was just up here a minute or two ago. But yeah, hey, listen, Acts 21, we've we've been in this book, as she said, for a little while. Um, And we find ourselves in a passage today, probably, as I was telling the the production team earlier, the least taught piece of Acts. It's really hard to find anyone writing or teaching on this passage, and I think it's because it feels so ancient and untouchable. I personally find it to be very contemporary, as Mark Twain once said, that history might not repeat, but it does rhyme from time to time, and I find myself reading this passage thinking a lot about... 2022, because Paul today finds cancel culture in our passage, or I should say cancel culture finds him, and in various forms, from this point on until the end of the book of Acts, he will be incarcerated. This is it. His days of being a free man are behind him. The next time he is free will be when he sees Jesus face to face, canceled because he was a disciple. That's it which is not new to us today. Being canceled for a disciple of Jesus is about as cutting edge as 2,000 years ago. And I've said this before up here from the pulpit. I do actually expect most days, I actually expect to be one day canceled for things I'm saying today or things I said yesterday um, or at least penalized. And I'm okay with that. But if I'm very honest with you, some days I would just love to be accepted by everybody. (laughs) I'd love to just be welcomed in every room I walk in. I would love just to kind of be in, love to fit in and not be pushed away because of how I think or what I believe or how I live my life. I think one of the things we love is this phrase. We hear it dropped in conversations in the church and we we semi know where it comes from, but it's the phrase being all things to all people. We love it. We love the idea of being all things to all people. It feels feels so non-threatening and wild and inclusive, because shapeshifters who kind of pick up the temperature of the room, they're never really going to get canceled because they always fit in. And I think that's one of the reasons we like it so much. But being all things to all people, it's rather provocative. It's very provocative, because it means being more than just agreeable and blending in. It means prizing the gospel above all traditions, above all customs, above all preferences. And when I say the gospel, it's important that you understand what that means. It's God's story, first of all. He wrote it. He thought it. He wrote it. He brought us his story. It belongs to him. It's a story of his goodness. It's a story of his ideas, a story of his love, and he carries it to us. But he doesn't just carry it to us as as if it's a story that we tell each other. He becomes it. He he is Christ with us. He is God-begotten, the God-man that walks among us, living with us, teaching us, laughing with us, making memories. He is forgiving he is loving he is leading and then he dies passionately tortuously he is raised again by the power of God He is at the right hand of God as he is preparing a place for you and me a place that cannot be taken away and one day he will come and collect us all and until that time he has given us his very spirit it's the story of God it's his story this gospel it's a provocative story but it is above all human traditions all human customs, all preferences. In fact, let's just look at the passage real quick. It'll be up on the screen if you did not bring a Bible with you or you're not using a device. If you are in Acts 21, just stay there. We're just going to be here for a split second. But Paul is talking to the church in Corinth in chapter 9, 1 Corinthians 9, and he says this, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became a Jew in order to win Jews. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. So what he's saying here is the gospel is essential before all cultural artifacts, right? And when I say artifacts or cultural artifacts, I want you to imagine um, culture being like a room full of furniture, and how you put furniture in a room kind of brings the color to it, brings the, you could say, culture to it, the ethos to it. And every culture has its own furniture. And in this culture, the one he's addressing, we have things like circumcision, diets, days, customs, traditions. And what Paul is saying is all of those things are fine. They're fine. Some of them are actually even probably very good, but they're not imperative for salvation. They're not required for salvation. In fact, he says this in Colossians 2 to a very different church around the same time. He says, therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath. He basically says those things are shadows of what's to come, but the substance itself belongs to Jesus. So Paul is preaching a portable gospel, a gospel that can be picked up and brought to any culture, any people group, anywhere. It he, he was effective with Jewish scholars and Gentile jailers and Samaritans and anyone you can think of. He was able to bring this portable gospel and install it in every culture. The idea of this passage is that you don't have to demand people adhere to a certain custom and tradition in order to enjoy Jesus. We can bring the gospel and meet them where they're at. That's the idea Now, there's plenty of room in the church, capital C, under the big tent of the church, capital C. There's plenty of room for different cultures. We all know that. There's also plenty of room for different levels of expressed freedoms. This is going to sound like a weird place to talk about this, but you are free to or not to handle certain freedoms if you can handle them to the glory of God. If you could eat that thing to the glory of God, it's all you. If you could drink that, to the glory of God, then you are free to do so if the Bible does not call it a sin. You know, I keep saying if because not everybody is free to exercise certain Christian freedoms. They're not free to. Some struggle with addiction. Some have a wounded conscience, what Paul might call a weak conscience here. Some simply know what their propensities are. They know how they are if they pick up something that they don't feel like they might be able to put back down, right? So, Sometimes when people abstain, it's not legalism as much as it is wisdom for a lot of people. Now, the reason it's important for us here is because sometimes all things to all people means not exercising freedoms that we have, but accommodating others, laying our freedoms down. You see, we have a rigid gospel, but we have soft freedoms, It's important to kind of keep that in mind as we work through this passage today because this sounds all sensible and thoughtful, but you need to know that putting the gospel before culture, before tradition, before preferences will create a mob. It builds mobs. I mean, we get to see another mob today. I've said in the past as we've been working our way through the book of Acts, you could almost tell the whole story of the book of Acts just from the perspective of the various different mobs all throughout this book. It's so easy to build one. And we have a Jewish mob today, angry at one thing, that culture is coming after the gospel and not before. They want their culture, their heritage, and their traditions to be the locomotive that pulls the entire train. Yet Paul is saying it's free to be one of the cars, but the gospel is what's pulling the train. That's what's happening. And it just is difficult for them. They have such a rich heritage, such a deep cultural identity, that they were God's chosen people. God gave them his word His prophets, his written word, his spoken word. He gave them his promises. He protected them. He gave his love to them. His people stood out in a world full of nations. So it just didn't seem right to them for non-Jews to sidestep all of that heritage and just get straight to God. To bypass all of their culture and their traditions and just enjoy Jesus. Didn't seem right to them. Now this sounds like an ancient issue with ancient people. But we're having the same conversation today. Friends, 2022, this is a contemporary passage. What you're going to want to know is that church will always be mobbed for carrying the truth. The mob we get to witness today, there are still mobs out there. And the second thing we'll see is that we will always be tempted to package and repackage the true gospel with our preferences and our culture. Not only do we bump into it, we're tempted to do it ourselves. But the gospel refuses to be bundled with Anything. Anything even something good. The very first series we ever taught, 16 books ago in the Bible, the number one, the first book we started was the book of Colossians. And the whole theme was, is Jesus plus anything equals nothing. But Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And so we find ourselves talking about that today. The gospel plus anything, even something very good equals nothing. You and I, we are called as Christians to keep the gospel in distilled, pure form. I was putting this together. I was reminded of what I went to school for. I went to school for biochemistry with a minor in chemistry, which means I spent a ton of time in the lab hour after hour after hour in the lab. And it would be very common for them to hand you some mystery liquid or whatever liquid, and and you'd have to pull it down to its most pure form. You have to pull all of the impurities out. You, You might have to use heat or agitation or dump other chemicals in there to kind of push it out, all these different things. And at the end of the day, you'd hand over another substance and you would be graded on the amount of impurities that were in there. I'm trying to distill it down to something that is very pure. That's what we are called to do with the gospel grace alone, in Jesus alone, by faith alone, because the gospel doesn't get stronger by adding things to it. It gets brittle and soft, and to be, to be honest, quite boring when we start adding impurities to it. But why do we care? All of this might be true, but why do we care? Because this sounds like a doctrinal argument for nerds like me, and I've had more nerdy conversations about cultural freedoms and whether we reject a piece of culture or redeem a piece of culture or the weight of a Sabbath day or the difference between abstention and prohibition and other nerd things like that. But what if you're not a nerd, right? What if you're not? This matters because as culture shifts fast, gospel clarity is more and more required than it's ever been before. We brought a statistic up here several, maybe a few months ago, and I feel like I've said it in different pools and different pockets since then, what they found in the Praxis group led by Andy Crouch, who's a little bit of an anthropologist and a social futurist, and he said that we have shifted by their studies, we have shifted in our culture more between the years of 2017 and 2022 that's five years by the way 2017 and 2022 than between 2017 and 1977 that means whatever you were watching in 2017 whatever you were listening to whatever you thought whatever the furniture in the room was of your culture you had more in common with your peers in 1977 than you do with yourself today that's what that means i mean listen Culture moves. We get it. It's moving fast right now. You sense it. I'm telling you something you already know. You get this. It's moving very fast. Currently, the gospel is being repackaged with things like political affiliation, cultural preferences, uh, different ideas of manhood and womanhood at work, in the home, modesty, legalism, prosperity, Christianity plus something. You have Christianity plus something equals quote unquote real Christianity. Whatever that is, I'm still not sure. So for missionaries, the fight for gospel clarity and purity is ground zero. We live or die on this hill. As a church, as a people, this is where it's at. So how can you and I be all things to all people with one gospel? How can we take an unbendable gospel and then bend to be all things to all people in all places? So let's look at our passage today because it's going to answer the question for us. We're in Acts 21, and yeah, we've only got about seven more weeks in this book, but this is where it's going to be. 21, we're going to jump in verse 17. Paul just is finishing his third mission trip, his last mission trip, I guess if you don't count, bouncing from jail to jail, and he is going to go and readdress the church in Jerusalem, and it says this, when he had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. okay, stop right there. This is real interesting. This could be a totally different sermon on how it is good for you. I'm not going to do it, all right? I'm just going to leave it. I'm just going to say it could be a sermon, right, in and of itself, of how it's good for us to bring good stories, good reports to each other one by one and celebrate what God is doing for us to do it and encourage each other. And that's basically what they're doing one by one. Guys, you wouldn't believe it. I walk by this river and there's this gal named Lydia and I'm talking to her and it's like nothing's landing. And then all of a sudden it's like God opened her heart and she got radically saved. Now she's leading our core team. She started our first comm group and now that thing has become a church. Pretty nuts. Until we got arrested. Then we ended up in jail. We're singing all night because we pretty much are, are, are sure we're going to get just aced the next day. We We sing and all of a sudden the Doors just open up. Don't ask us how. It must be the Lord. Then we talk this jailer out of killing himself. He gets saved. So we add him to the church. His whole family gets saved. We add them to the church. And then this demon possessed girl. I know you got questions. Just trust me. It was weird. She was demon possessed. Cast the demon out of her because she was bugging me. She is added to the church. And on and on and on. And then we went to Ephesus. And then there was a riot. And then I went to Mars Hill. I went to Mars Hill and Corinth and all these dorks were talking about, dorky things that no one even really cared about. And then I get up and then I preach the gospel, right? And I'm using some of their rap lyrics and some of their pop culture references. And they listened and it landed. And we had some new Christians. Another church is built. Church after church after church. And by the way, there's this guy in Corinth that's preaching. His name is Apollos. And he's so good, everyone's getting t-shirts made saying, I am with Apollos. He's that good. They're not buying Paul T-shirts because the last time I preached, a teenager fell out of the window, dropped three stories and dead, right? So I don't, I'm not selling any of those shirts. Just story by story by story by story. He's catching them all up over three mission trips. How cool. And then they reciprocate. Oh, yeah, Paul. Will you remember the people that you said you would give your own life for if they could all become radical Christians? It's happening. Jew after Jew, up to the thousands of Jews are becoming Christians. That's about where the good news stops. This is where it picks up. Let's keep reading. This will be in verse 20, referring to these Jews. James says, they are all zealous for the law, and they have been told about you, that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or walk according to our customs. What then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come, Do therefore what we tell you. We have four men who are under a vow. Take these men and purify yourself along with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads. Thus all will know that there is nothing in what you have been told about you but that you yourself also live in observance of the law. But as for the Gentiles who have believed... We have sent a letter with our judgment that they should abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. Then Paul took the men, and the next day he purified himself along with them and went into the temple giving notice when the days of purification would be fulfilled and the offering presented for each one of them. Okay, this is kind of weird what's happening here. What James is saying is, listen, we've got a problem because they're all zealous for the law, and for customs. So, Paul, word on the street is, the whispers in the background is that you are telling new Jewish Christians that they should never have circumcision, never go on one of those special Jewish diets or celebrate a Sabbath, which is all fake news. He wasn't saying any of that. They were getting it wrong. He was saying customs weren't evil, they're just not necessary for salvation. Why? Because the same exact grace that gave the Gentiles the freedom to step away from Jewish customs gave the Jewish culture and gave the Jews freedom to observe it. So he comes up with this plan, 22 to 25, right? That's what we just read. Take them to sport clips, cut their hair, and pay for it. That will show the haters right there, right? What's going on is they're talking about a Nazarite vow, Nazarite vow is this uh, it's extreme piety. It's uh, something like what we, the, maybe the closest thing we have is, is fasting, long fasting. But this Nazarite vow is this time where they would forego for about 30 days meat, wine, and haircuts, okay? Right, which sounds like college for some of us, right? If you ever went to college, If you went to Taco Bell, that's not meat, friend, right? But that was all I could afford. So I would go without meat, without wine, and without a haircut. So that's what they're doing. He pays for it to show the whole world, you guys are so worried about me just hitting delete on all of the culture. I'm not. Here's proof. And by the way, I raced to get here to make it by a certain day, just to solve that equation for everybody. Paul agreed with James' plan. He says, I can do that. I'm not adding to the gospel. I have the freedom to pick that up, and I have the freedom to put that down. I can do what you have asked to the glory of God easily because it's not required for salvation. It's just a thing. It's a piece of furniture in the room, and it's fine. It's fine. Okay, let's look at what happens. Verse 26, because it does get out of hand, or 27 rather. It always gets out of hand anytime Paul goes anywhere. But this is what it says. When the seven days were almost completed, the Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, "...stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, "'Men of Israel, help! This is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere "'against the people and the law and this place. "'Moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place, "'for they had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, with him in the city, "'and they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple.'" Then all the city was stirred up and all the people ran together. They seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple. And at once the gates were shut. And as they were seeking to kill him, word came to the tribune of the cohort that all Jerusalem was in confusion. He at once took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. And when they saw the tribune and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Then the tribune came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. He inquired who he was and what he had done. Some in the crowd were shouting one thing, some another. And as he could not learn the facts because of the uproar, he ordered him to be brought into the barracks. And when he came to the steps, he was actually carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the crowd. For the mob of the people followed, crying, away with him. It's just a mob being a mob. Mobs are always mobs, right? And they're still yelling, by the way. It just sounds different. Christians are sexists, they're bigots, they're racist. Christians are homophobes, transphobes, they're corrupt, they're hypocritical. Mobs are still getting the details wrong, they're still missing the point, they're still assuming the worst, and they're trying to convince everyone else around them to copy their sense of virtue I mean, listen, you hear the phrase all the time, virtue signaling. All this is is broken humanity hungers so deeply to feel virtuous. Hunger so much does not want to feel bad. It wants to signal that it has a virtue when it does not have a virtue. But the only way to do that is to point to a virtuous God and say, you are not good. It's the only way to do it. You are not good. I'm good. It's just the sin of Adam over and over and over again. It means looking at his gospel and calling it hateful. It means looking at his people and calling them whatever it is popular to call his people. I mean, if Paul were to jump into a time machine and come today, he would hop out and go, wow, so this is still happening. The whole mob thing is still happening. I mean, we're not all in the same room yelling at each other, but you're doing it digitally. It's going viral. It's global now. But in this setting, naturally, a street fight breaks out. And then Lysias, is this, this kind of like the hall monitor of this area. He rushes in with soldiers. They grab Paul. They throw him in a couple of sets of chains. That's like protective custody, by the way. They're going to throw him up on their shoulders, and they're going to carry him on out of there. And it's confusing. By the way, this is right on cue. We saw last week that Agabus said this was going to happen, right? That he would be bound and carried away. Right on cue. Paul probably was thinking that whenever they put the chains on him. He probably thought, well, okay, check that box. <laughs> the chains are on me. But this is such a confusing and chaotic moment that fact could not even be discerned from fiction. That's one of the reasons I'm calling this a very contemporary passage. Lyceus is like, I don't even know what's going on. Everyone's just yelling at each other. And there's punches being thrown. There's pepper spray in the air. Everyone's being really mean to each other. I don't know what's going on. It's still like this. I mean, you, you be honest with yourself. The very first time you heard the letters CRT, Right? Were you thinking in your head, well, what is that? I've never really heard that. Is that good? Is that bad? Should I like critical race theory? Should I not like it? Should I like pieces of it? I mean, this person's yelling one thing, this person's yelling another thing. I remember when Black Lives Matter really changed shape. And some of you are like, yeah, it's really good. Wait, is it not good? You tell me. I'm a little confused. Is it every life or is it black life? It's kind of weird. It's nuanced. How am I supposed to believe? It was a time where it was hard to discern fact from fiction. And so what do you do? You just move on. It's just easier to move on. Get this guy out of here. And that's what's going on in this moment. The main idea of our passage is that Paul defends the gospel in the face of a mob. Turns out, being all things to all people still makes angry people. Still makes angry people. What would have made these people happy, by the way? If Paul were to just hop up on a box and say, all right, 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 all right. What would have made him happy? All right, you guys have a point. I feel your anger, thank you for your constructive input. You are heard. So from now on, we're gonna require circumcision, we're gonna make some dietary changes and we are going to do the Sabbath a certain way. You tell us how you want it done and we're gonna get it that done. That should work out sufficiently, right? Would that have made them happy? We have this, again, it's contemporary pastors, we have the same thing today. Pastors, church leaders all over the fruited plains standing up and saying, "All right, all right, all right, all right, all right, you guys have a point, we hear you. We've been calling that a sin, maybe we shouldn't. We'll allow homosexual pastors, we will not call that a sin, you got it. Or I hear you guys, I hear you guys, I feel your anger. We will require everyone to be a Republican, to be a Christian from here on out, if it'll make you happy, if it'll make you happy. Or okay guys, I got it, I gotta hear you, this is tough. So from here on out, alcohol is a no-go. It's a no-go, because it makes you feel more comfortable. I mean, do you see what's going on here? What's happening is is to have access to my God, you will need to copy my cultural preferences because there's Christianity and then there's real Christianity. You see, when we add to the gospel, we might actually think the mobs will leave us alone, right? When we package it and bundle it with certain things, but what it will do is it will ruin the gospel because it makes it no longer any good news because Jesus plus anything equals nothing. Nothing but our temptation is definitely to repackage the gospel to make it more palatable to others and really, to be honest with ourselves, to make it more palatable to even us. When the world calls you offensive or hateful for following Jesus, for being a disciple, our temptation is going to be to repackage the gospel. I mean, do you just see how quickly things progressed in this package? started with whispers, rumors, turned into words. You see it happening. And then accusations. And then yells. And then they put their hands on him. They're not patting him on the back, by the way. It's like kidney punches. They're putting their hands on him. And then they put chains on him. All in just a short amount of time. How things are moving so fast. Even being all things to all people is not inclusive enough. The world wants him to celebrate what it celebrates. The world will want you to do the same. Not just to acknowledge, not just to hear, not just to understand, but to celebrate what it celebrates. I speculate that this is happening fastest, probably in the fields of sexuality and gender. I'm not a wizard or anything. That's just the way it smells like the wind is going, right? I mean, how many times has someone come up to you and said, you're not one of those Christians that believes fill in the blank, which is such a lazy question anyway, right? Hey, you're not one of those Christians that believes this, are you? You know what they're asking? They're asking you to edit and rewrite the gospel in their image. They're asking you to scratch the itch of their itching ears. And Paul told Timothy that this would happen. He said, for the time is coming, in 2 Timothy 4, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching but have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Our ears still itch today. Mine do. Yours, do. everybody's does. Ultimately, what I want to hear people teach is what I already believe. I want them to say what I already endorse, what makes me comfortable. I don't want to challenge. I don't want to be convicted. I don't want obedience to be out there. I want to hear what I already agree with. It's in all of us. Now. Given what Paul has told Timothy, I'm not super concerned legacy won't endure sound teaching. We're really resolved to teach soundly here. Most, if not all, of you wouldn't be here otherwise. I wouldn't be here otherwise. But the city we love is not nearly as interested in sound doctrine if it gets in the way of preference and cultures and customs. Not nearly. But the pure gospel collides with our preferences, and therefore it will build a mob. And our temptation will be to temper what we say to repackage what we say, to shave things off, to add things in. Missionaries, listen to me, which is all of you in Christ. Sometimes people will just be upset and they'll lob accusations and whispers and rumors. Some of it will be true, most of it will be false. Logic will not prevail. You won't even get an opportunity to answer it. Your voice will be drowned out your voice will be choked out, and whispers turn into yells. Yells turn into other things. That's just gonna happen. And when we're tempted to repackage the gospel, when that temptation is in me, it's nothing more than just a tight grip on this world, which Paul, by this point, had let go of. Just let go of this world. Can't you tell? Can't you tell? They yell, away with him. Those are the the last words he's hearing as they slap chains on him and and hoist him up, I guess. Away with him. I mean, imagine just praying over this passage, thinking about, did that freak him out or charge him up? Whenever he's hearing the crowd say, away with this guy, they're canceling him. Is he starting to, to maybe wilt inside? Like, oh, gosh, this isn't good. This is going south. I wanted more time, I wanted to preach more, I wanted to do more, I wanted to live more. Or did he go, all right, right on schedule. I mean, it's hitting the target, the gospel's gonna produce this, which means the gospel's working. Which one did it do? I bet it was a little bit of both, (laughs) because I think that's probably where I would be. I think that's where you can expect to be. Away with him. Listen, there's no way to live a disciple's life without hearing that at different times and different places and different ways, right? Away with him. I mean, you being canceled is gonna look different from this. Me being canceled is gonna look different from you. But all it is is away with him, away with him. And here's why I'm fine with it. They said the same thing to Jesus. Away with him were the words that he heard in his ears. This world canceled Christ for being good news, not just bringing good news, being good news to undeserving people. Listen, unlike Paul, he didn't just carry a portable gospel to different groups. He carried himself. He was the gospel. He carried himself to people that didn't deserve it, regardless of their culture or their upbringing or their last name, the skin color, their state of. He just would show up to Samaritan women. He would show up to Jewish scholars, not just bringing some sort. He was God in the flesh. He brought this pure, unpolluted, distilled gospel of himself plus nothing. That's what he brings. And what did we do? We whispered. Then we rumored. Then we yelled. Then we put hands on him. And then we put chains on him. And then we put a cross on him. We destroyed him. We destroyed him. And the father presided over that as an architect would over a build. That's why we looked at it a few weeks ago. For from him and through him and to him are all things. God is that good. He is that serious about justice. He is that serious about sin. He is that serious about his love for you. And what's interesting is, is Jesus, before he dies, he says in John, Remember, a servant's not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, friend, they will persecute you as well. If I hear away with him... <laughs> If they cancel meal, it's coming for you. They're going to cancel you as well. So we can bend to be accommodating to other people depending on their culture, their preferences, and their felt freedoms in the moment. We can do that. But the gospel does not bend. That gospel does not bend. And I think the place where we can analyze our own life is as we move this sermon into maybe a, a place of repentance before they come back up and lead us in Music is if this is home for you, you simply cannot afford to be canceled, can you? There's just too much to lose. You can never hear the words away with him. Not if this is your home. But if you're a pilgrim and you're heading home, you can expect it. You can expect it when the chains come on, away with him. It won't crush you as well. It will just remind you of who God is, how much he loves you, what he has built in the gospel how kind he is, it will remind you how thoughtful he is, how secure he is, how, how firm his grip is, how strong he is, it will remind you whenever they say that. Friends, listen, if you're in Christ today, ask yourself, where are you tempted to not accommodate people because of their culture or their felt freedoms or where are you tempted to over-accommodate people and just be a shapeshifter? Where are you tempted to repackage the gospel? Is this place a home to you? It brings all your life, you really need it to work out, or is this a layover? These are the thoughts I need you to think about as we worship, as we pray, as we sing, and have a dialogue with the Lord about that. Friends, listen, if you're here and you are unsure about Jesus, maybe you're learning, maybe you were talked into being here, or you're watching and you're just not even sure about the whole Jesus thing, you're you're still kind of traveling through it all. Listen, itching ears are itching for a reason. Think about it. Just zoom out. We want to feel better about ourselves. That's why we like to hear the things we like to hear. We want to feel better about ourselves. It's the part of us that wants comfort. We want approval. We want security. We need these things. We feel like, so if this guy will tell me these things and make me feel that way, I'm going to listen to him. But God is the only one that can bring that comfort, that security that goodness, that sweetness, that kindness. It's the part of you that was designed for God alone. That's why your ears still itch. You've never gotten the scratch you needed anywhere else to use Paul's language. You've gone from thing to thing to thing, and it still itches, still looking to accumulate teachers, still looking to pick up advice, worldviews, whatever it is. That's the part of you that was designed for God alone. I would submit that you would give your life to God I would submit that you would find him delightful, that you would ask him to show himself true to you, powerful to you, good to you, glorious to you, that you would ask him and watch the Holy Spirit work in your life